The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Well, after last week's sermon on marriage, Emily told me, she asked me if I could go ahead and preach on marriage every single Sunday, because the reason being is because this past week the running joke was, because I talked about how as men we are to lay lay down our lives for our wives and to seek ways to take things off of their plates. And so Emily reminded me of my own sermon a lot this past week. Uh, so uh, it, was, it, was good, it was a good thing. But this, this morning we're not going to be talking, uh, it's not going to be a continuation of marriage. Uh, in fact, in God's providence, I am not a good enough planner for this. Uh, I just want you to, no amens there, please. But uh, this morning our text is leading us to how we are to reflect the gospel in parenting. And so it aligns well with our inaugural Sunday for our children's ministry, also with our text now talking about parenting. And I know some of you in this room, maybe you're out of the childhood parenting season. Maybe you're not parents. And you might be thinking, you might be writing this sermon off. Please do not there. I promise you there is something in here for every single one of you, no matter what season of life you may be in. Well, for decades now in our country, there has been a pervasive epidemic plaguing our land. However, this this epidemic is not viral in nature like we've experienced recently. Rather, I think it's relational in nature. And it's the epidemic of fatherlessness. Data from the United States Census Bureau, it shows that nearly 18 and a half million children grow up without their fathers which has in turn led to the United States being the title of the world's leader in fatherlessness homes. It's not a good title to have. Approximately 80% of single-parent homes are led by single mothers, which means that nearly 25%, one in four student, one in four child will grow up without having a father in the home. 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders, they come from fatherless homes. And over 70%, these are statistics from the Census Bureau, I believe, over 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers, they originate from homes without fathers. And on the front of poverty, data shows that children without a father in the home, they are five times more likely to live in poverty than those with a two-parent household. Research further indicates that children without fathers at homes are nine times more likely to drop out of school, and they represent 90% of all runaway kids. Fatherless youth eventually become, as the statistics bear it out, they eventually become adults who, without structure of a two-parent household, they struggle to gain their footing in the world. And so maybe you experienced this growing up. Maybe you grew up and you did not have a father figure in the home. And so if that is the case, please hear me this morning. These statistics do not have to define you because God is able to redeem all areas of your life if you would give all of yourself to him. However, there is, I believe, another silent but similar epidemic happening within our society and even within the church. 
And that is the epidemic of present but unengaged fathers. Where, where fathers are present in the home, but they're not leading their family spiritually. And they're not engaging with their children relationally. And so this morning, we will see how the gospel, how it informs our parenting. And then by God's grace and with the Holy Spirit's help, we will see how we as parents and fathers specifically, how we are to reflect the gospel in our parenting. And so let's read our passage this morning. And then let's dive right on in. Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. God's word says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. That is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would come. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would meet with us right now, that you would open our eyes, that you would reveal truth to us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us. And that where we might think this sermon is not directly applicable to me, for those thinking that right now, Lord, I pray that you would meet them and you would show them that your word is truth and that your word is for them this morning. Pray that you would be with us and open our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. And so our first point this morning, it comes from the first three verses, and that is children are to reflect the gospel in their obedience. And so I know I thought about keeping the kids in the service for this sermon, or at least keeping my own kids in the, ser- in the service so they can hear this point. Children, obey your parent, right? Obey your parents. They need that. They need that reminder quite often. But, but notice the biblical expectation that God has for our children. To borrow a phrase, right, as a society and even within the church, we have developed a soft bigotry of low expectations toward our children. We, we, we excuse behavior. We, we diagnose away behavior. Or unfortunately, what's becoming even more common today, parents are submitting to the behavior of their children out of fear of not being liked or well-received by their child. Well, well not so for the Apostle Paul. I think if he were here this morning, he would say something like this to the children. No matter what modern psychology may tell you, and no matter how your feelings may persuade you, children, hear the word of the Lord this morning. Obey your parents in the Lord. In other words, your obedience to to your parents is your obedience to Jesus. And your disobedience to your parents is your disobedience to Jesus. So Paul goes on to say that this is right. It's right because this way of living, obeying your parents, it fits together with God's good design for a child's life. Obeying your parents unlocks the door for them to pursue the true, the good, and the beautiful in life. And so I know, like I said, I know uh, there aren't any kids in this room, but if you are parents, I would encourage you uh, to, to either go to our website this week, to go to our Spotify playlist or to our YouTube channel and share this with your kids. It's important for them to hear God's word this morning. But you'll notice here, and this is not only for the kids, this is for everybody in this room. You'll notice how Paul supports this command that he gives to children. How does he do that? Well, he goes back and he references the fifth commandment in the Ten Commandments. 
And he notes how this commandment carries with it a promise. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so listen, both child and adult alike, God rewards obedience. His blessings, they are found along the pathway of obedience. And so though we are no longer under the Old Testament law now, we are still to give weight and significance to the law. Because the law reveals God's character, it reveals God's design for his creation, and it reveals God's expectations for us today. And because the Old Testament, it points us to and it prepares us for the coming of Jesus. We we cannot understand the fullness of the gospel, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, without first understanding the law. And so if we then are no longer under the law, why does Paul quote the fifth commandment? I think he does that to show that while there is, yes, some discontinuity, some disconnection between the old covenant and the new covenant, there is also continuity connection as well between the two. And so I think it's maybe a helpful exercise when you're reading through the Old Testament. And if you are reading through the Old Testament with us in our two-year Bible reading plan, you, you, you're, you're working through that. You're, we're in 2 Samuel right now. But when you read through the Old Testament and you come across a command in the Old Testament, it's helpful to ask these three questions. In light of Christ's work, is this command in the law terminated, right? It, it, does it no longer apply? Is it a ceremonial law, right? Does it have to do with cleansing? And if that's the case, well, listen, when Jesus went to the cross, he fulfilled all of the ceremonial requirements up for us and now we are clean in god's sight because of jesus so those laws they are terminated because jesus fulfilled all of the law another question to ask when i come across a command in the old testament is this a does this command continue today such as thou shalt not covet thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not murder right and the answer is yes those still apply today because they are rooted in god's created design Thirdly, we ask, is this command transformed in light of Christ's work? And so we can think of the Sabbath, right? Are are we still bound to cease from work one day out of the week? For some, if it's a Saturday, for others, you think it's a Sunday. And if, if that's the case, every single pastor is in violation of that command, right? And so are we to cease from labor? Well, no, that's not the case because now, because of Jesus, we now find our Sabbath rest in him. Our soul finds its rest in Jesus now. So the principle remains, but the command now in light of Christ's work, it is transformed into a greater spiritual reality. Does that make sense? When we come to the law in the Old Testament, we ask, is this law, is this command terminated? Does it continue or is it transformed because of what Jesus has done for us in his life, his death, his resurrection. And so now the law has, has taken new shape within the new covenant because the law of Christ, it's informed by the love of Jesus and by the spirit of God. Or maybe, maybe a helpful way of thinking about this. Whenever the New Testament affirms the Old Testament law, it remains binding on us today. And when it doesn't, it doesn't remain binding on us today. So Paul would say, 
honor your he he commends and he says this law this command is to continue honor your father and mother and so children who will be listening to this at a future moment what that means to honor your father and mother it means to respect their authority it means to admire them to esteem them and and then maybe kids speak it means to view your parents as your heroes that's what it means to honor your father and your mother children Paul says, reflect the gospel in your obedience. But secondly, parents, reflect God in your parenting. And so you'll notice in the context of this passage, you'll notice that we are still, even though we're in chapter 6, the chapter breaks were not original to the text. They're added later on. So we're still under the heading of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And so what that means is that in our marriages and in our parenting, and next week we will see in our work, we are to imitate and reflect God. So before we can be faithful parents to our children, we must first be faithful children to our God. Or to put it another way, if we are to reflect God in our parenting, then we must first understand the fatherhood of God. Now, I know sometimes people, maybe even you have done this. Sometimes people project how their earthly father treated them onto their view of God. But listen, when you do this, you're inverting the order there. We don't define God by our experience with our earthly father. We define who God is and his fatherhood of us based upon how scripture reveals him to us. So we don't define God by our experiences. We define God and we understand him and his paternal love by his word. And so just a quick summary. According to scripture, what what is our heavenly father's parenting style like? How how does he parent us? How does he father us? Well, Matthew 6 says that your father in heaven, he values you and he provides for you. Zephaniah 3 says that your father in heaven, he values quiets you with his love and right now he is rejoicing over you with loud singing psalm 23 says that your father in heaven he leads you throughout all of life's circumstances hebrews 12 says that your father in heaven he corrects you when you go astray as a good father does first peter 5 says that your father in heaven he comforts you when you are anxious Psalm 103 and much of the Old Testament says that your father in heaven, he is patient with you. He is compassionate with you and that he empathizes with your frailty and your limitations. Luke 6 says that your father in heaven, he is merciful toward you. Romans 15, your father in heaven, he encourages you. Isaiah 41, your father in heaven, he sustains you in the heaviest and hardest times of your life. And Joshua 1, Joshua 1 says that your father in heaven, he is with you. Always. He's got your back. First Peter 1 says that your father in heaven, he has given you brand new life. Luke 15 says your father in heaven, he welcomes you and he receives you back with open arms. Whether you've been running far from him or wherever you might be in life, your father in heaven, he is waiting with open arms to receive you back home. Romans 8 says that your father in heaven, he protects and he defends you against all of the world's accusations. Luke 15 also says that your father in heaven, he pursues you. 
Ephesians 2, which you might remember, says that your father in heaven, he prizes you. That you are literally the poem he is writing in this world. In Romans 5, it says that your father in heaven, he loves you. And he loves you so much that he demonstrated his love for you and that while you were still sinners, while you were still rebelling against God, while you were still running against God, while you're still kicking and screaming at his authority, he sent his son to die for you, that you might be forgiven and that you might be adopted and brought into his family. God's love is such that he takes his enemies and he makes them his children. This is the love of God. And this is what God, and, and, and we could literally go on for hours talking about scriptures teaching on the fatherhood of God, but time constrains us. That's just a little snippet. Charles Spurgeon, he, he, he once said this, he said, it is a sweet compound of faith that knows that, knows that God is my father. And therefore, it yields a love that loves him as my father, joy that rejoices in him as my father, fear that trembles to disobey him because he is my father, and a confident affection and trustfulness that relies upon him. It casts itself wholly on him because it knows by the infallible witness of the Holy Spirit that Jehovah, the God of heaven and earth, he is our father. Psalm 103 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. So do you hear the tender love and the affectionate fatherhood of God for you this morning? How then will you define your view of God? by your experiences or by his word. No matter how your earthly father was towards you, no matter how he treated you, whether he was a shining reflection of God's paternal care or whether he was the very antonym of God's paternal care, listen, if you are in Christ and if you have repented of your sins and if you have trusted in Jesus as your savior, then listen, you have been adopted into the family of God. You are a child of the king of kings and the God of heaven and earth. He is now your father. So this morning, rest in that truth. Rest in the deep, deep love of God for you. You are his child and he loves you with a perfect, intimate, irresistible, unconditional kind of love. And if you are a parent in this room and want to know what is the best parenting style out there, you don't have to go to a lot of books, so they are helpful. All you got to do is go to this book and see the parenting style of your heavenly father and then imitate him in your own parenting. In other words, as parents, we are to value and to provide for our children. We are to quiet and and comfort their troubled spirits and anxious souls. We are to lead them, to discipline them, and to correct them when they disobey. We are to be patient and empathetic with them to their limitations. We are to be tender and merciful and compassionate. We are to be their rock, to lift them up, to sustain them, and to be life-giving to them. We are to protect them, pursue them, prize them. They should know without a shadow of a doubt that daddy and mommy rejoice over them and that they are proud of 
them. And we are to love them sacrificially and unconditionally. And all of this, we are to do so as God has done for us. We are to reflect and to imitate God in our parenting. Before we can raise our kids effectively in the instruction and admonition of the Lord, we must first realize and understand the fatherhood of God for us. And third point this morning comes from verse four of our passage. Fathers, we are to raise up our children in the Lord. Notice now with me in verse four, how Paul focuses on the fathers. In a passage on parenting, he could have said parents like he did in verse one, or he could have said fathers and mothers, but he didn't. He said fathers. So what that means, men, is that you are the head of your home. And as such, God has given you the unique responsibility of leading your family and bringing up your children in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. He hasn't given us the sole responsibility or even the greater responsibility. No, that's not what it says. But he has given us a unique and primary responsibility for our family. In other words, men, we will be held most accountable, not our wives, on whether or not we raised our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, now to be sure, we cannot control the outcome of our children. Whether our children end up following Jesus or whether they don't, that's outside of our hands and our control. Since salvation, it is of the Lord. However, we are still called and still held accountable to our output. What we do, whether we are praying for our kids, whether we are regularly modeling grace for our kids, whether or not we are instructing them in the counsel of God in the gospel of Jesus, and whether or not we are carrying out godly discipline within the home and whether or not we are lavishing the love of God onto them. Men, fathers in the room, you are responsible and you will be held accountable for your leadership of your family. Your greatest calling in life is that of Christian, husband, and father. Everything else is secondary to those three callings. If you're a father and a husband. Now, should, should we work hard to provide for our families in our work? Yes. And we'll talk about that next week. We'll talk about reflecting the gospel in our work. But I want to ask you, what are you most devoted to in life? Your careers, your hobbies, or your wife and your children? Listen, we can always make more money. You can always... You'll have later time for hobbies, but you will never get back the time of your kid's childhood. Redeem the time. Invest in your children's lives. Emily and I, we had the realization a little bit ago that we are a third of the way through parenting Ruby. And that that hits you home. It smacks you kind of in the face. And what the, the, the next phrase that I was reminded of was redeem the time. Men. Fathers in the room, redeem the time you have with your children and devote your life to serving your families. Now, ladies, that doesn't mean that you're off the hook. Remember last week's passage, right? We are, ladies, you are called to come alongside your husbands as teammates and partners in the work of raising 
and leading a family. You're to be a unified team to instruct your kids in the grace of God and in his discipline. And maybe I know there are some of you maybe in this room where you have walked through the tragedy of divorce. And maybe you you are raising or you did raise your child as a single parent. And if that is the case, then remember this. As I said in the very beginning, God can redeem any situation. And while in your children, they are not left without a father. Because while the, 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 the earthly father may not be present in the home, they still have a father in heaven who loves them perfectly and who will parent them with his paternal care, concern, and correction. So Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What, what, what is the opposite then of anger? What's well, joy, right? Joy and peace. And so again, men, Paul puts the onus on you this morning. Are you the primary promoter of joy and peace within your family? Are you leading out front in this regard? Or are you the main instigator of anger and hostility in your home? May we be men in this church. May we be men who lead joyful lives in the Lord and call, invite our children to do the very same so we're to bring them up, Paul says. And that's the same word that, that Paul uses in Romans, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, and it's translated there as nurture. So bringing our children up means that we are to nurture them. We are to cultivate their souls. We are to bring them up and raise them. And we're to do so not only physically, but Paul says even primarily we're to do so spiritually through discipline and instruction. And so discipline, we don't have time, but Hebrews chapter 12 is a really helpful uh, chapter on the discipline of the Lord toward us. But what this means is that we as fathers are to be loving. We're to encourage a pursuit of holiness. We're to be tender yet firm in such a way that it forms our kids to do the very same, to love Jesus and to pursue holiness in their lives. And that, that idea of instruction, it carries with it the notion of instructing your children, teaching them the truth as it is in Jesus, accompanied with the warnings of God's word. Okay, that, that's all nice and great, but practically speaking, practically speaking, how do we raise our kids in the instruction and discipline of the Lord? Or maybe grandparents, when your grandkids are with you, how do you redeem the time with your grandkids and come alongside mom and dad to help instruct and discipline them in the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, it says this, uh, the Lord says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it's a famous command that's given to us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your, all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. But he continues on, he says, And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write God's word on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, how do we raise our kids in the instruction and discipline of the Lord? We are to do so in a way. We are to, to raise and to form our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord at all times in life and in all ways of life. And one key way to do that, I think, is by developing habits and rhythms of your household to form your kids in that way. 
in the book Habits, it's in my backpack. I meant to bring it up here and I forgot it. But in the book Habits of the Household, and if you're a parent or if you're a grandparent or if you have friends who are parents, I commend this book to you or to your children who are parenting or to your friends who are parenting. And if you're in this church and you don't have money to buy this book, let me know and I will happily buy this for you. That's how much I have benefited from this book. But Habits of the Household, in it, the author, he talks about the power and the impact of developing various habits within our families that point our children to the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus. He writes this, and and, and this isn't, shouldn't be unique only for parents. Everyone in this room, I want you to evaluate what are the habits I am forming in my life and are they aiding and benefiting me in following Jesus? Or are these habits, are they hindering me from following Jesus? But the author, he writes this, he said, because habits are kinds of liturgies, And so a liturgy, it's a pattern of worship that we repeat over and over again. That's what a liturgy is. He said, because the habits are a kind of liturgy, they are little routines of worship. And worship changes what we love. Habits of the household, they're not just actions that form our children's routines. They are literally, they're liturgies, forms of worship that form our family's heart. That is why we should choose them so carefully. And so he goes on to talk about how we can form habits, how we can form these liturgies within our Family life. When we do it, when we wake up. What, what do we say to our kids when they wake up? What, what do we do at the mealtime? How do we discipline them in a way that forms and instructs them? What about screen time, right? Family devotions in our marriages, in our work, in our play, in our conversations, and when we tuck our kids to bed at night. What are the habits we are implementing and instituting such that through those daily, ordinary rhythms of life, we are forming them and pointing them to Christ. And so I commend that book to you. We don't have time for me to go to summarize it, but I commend that book to you as a help. In summary, children, you are to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, Paul says. Parents, you are to imitate God in your parenting. And fathers, you are to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Before we enter into a time of prayer, you can go ahead and keep your eyes closed. And as we enter into a time of reflection, I just want to ask four different questions to four groups of people. First, if you are an an engaged father, meaning if you are engaged relationally with your kids, I want to encourage you, do not grow weary in doing good. It is strenuous, but it is pleasing in God's sight. If you maybe were an unengaged father, right? Your kids are out of the house now, but you know and you realize now you were unengaged in their childhood. Then I want to encourage you, men, call your adult children and ask for their forgiveness. Apologize. Humble yourself before your kids and seek by God's grace to redeem and to restore an image of biblical fatherhood for your children. As long as you are alive, it's not too late to redeem your relationship with your child and to reflect the gospel to them. Maybe presently, if you are an engaged father right now, I encourage you to to repent. Repent of your passivity 
and then receive God's forgiveness. He, he, he will welcome you back. He will forgive you. And then commit to redeem the time with your family. And maybe if you're in this room and you, you're not a parent, you're not a father, I want to encourage you, rest in the fatherhood of God over you. Rest and remember, he loves you and be secure in his love. And then pray for the fathers and mothers of our church that by God's grace and by the Holy Spirit, we would bring up children as a church and as families in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.